want to go through one particular passage in First Peter um, that best summarizes how we as Christians should handle things when hard times come into our lives. So let's go ahead and turn, um, if you haven't already, to, to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 12. We're going to go to, uh, to verse 19. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a context, right? Um, when Peter wrote this letter, he was writing to a multitude of churches that were being persecuted. I could give you a whole background on what was going on, but to make it quick, the emperor of Rome at the time, Emperor Nero, he was causing a lot of bad things to happen. He was breaking buildings in the city. He was causing fires to happen in the different colonies of Rome. And what was interesting is whenever something bad would happen, even though it happened by his hand, he wanted to be seen as a great ruler so he would find a scapegoat. He didn't want anybody to know that he was the one causing these bad things, so he would blame somebody else. And every single time something bad would happen in these Roman colonies, right? And Roman colonies are not necessarily Rome itself, but the, the lands around and the areas of Rome where it's not necessarily there, but it's ruled by Rome. And then every, every single time something bad would happen by his hand in these Roman colonies, he would blame Christians. He would just point to them and say, they're the ones that are doing it. And he would find little ways to convince the people that it was the Christians that were doing these bad things. And so the result was that the Roman people in these colonies began to persecute the Christians that lived there. And it was such bad persecution that people were actually murdering Christians. And I bet none of us have ever had to face that. Christians were fearing for their lives. And so Peter wrote this letter to the Christian churches in these areas, telling them how they should react to the trial and how they should respond in the midst of extreme persecution. And so in my opinion, these Christians were going through something tougher than we're facing right now. So we're going to be reading what Peter wrote to them as encouragement, as a way to kind of shift their minds on how to look at trial as Christians, as having hope in Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and let's read the passage, starting in verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. It's a beautiful passage. The language used in 1 Peter is just amazing. A lot of people actually don't even believe that Peter wrote this letter. Um, He did. But a lot of people will try to question it because the language is so elevated and so beautiful. I mean, he was just a fisherman. So a lot of people will try to point at that. But he he went to the school of Jesus. He was a disciple. And so we know that he learned directly um, from the mouth of Jesus. And so we just see this beautiful passage. And, And what Peter is ultimately trying to do here is he's trying to change our perspective on suffering, like I mentioned to you guys. Because as long as we look at it from the right perspective, we as Christians can and should understand that trial and suffering have a purpose. Trial can give us a sense of urgency, and trial can have a purifying effect on our lives. Trial can cause us to turn to the Lord, but again, that's only if we look at it from the correct perspective. And that's from God's perspective. We're supposed to be looking at trial not just as our means of suffering, but also as a tool of maturity, a tool of purpose, 
and a tool of glorifying God. And what Peter wants us to understand is that trial does have a place in our life and it can serve a purpose, but again, only if we let it. We have to be open to that. And so now with that concept in mind, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take this concept of trial, we're going to break it down, and we're going to look at four different perspectives about trial that are going to help us to understand it so that we can better handle it, not just as the world would, but how we as Christians would, as followers of Christ would. Because we know that as Christians, because we have Jesus, we don't experience trial the same way as everybody else does. We don't. We have a hope in trial through Jesus Christ. And again, we're going through trial right now, so I want to bring that to you guys. We have a hope in him. And so like I said, the study is going to be broken up into four parts. So if you're taking notes, it's pretty simple what we're going to be going through. The first part is going to be preparation for trial. It's all chronological here. It's preparation for trial is the first thing. The second thing is going to be the purpose of trial. The third is going to be the passing of trial. And the fourth is going to be the overall picture of trial. So before trial, the preparation. During trial, the purpose. And then after trial, the passing of it. And then after, we're going to see the overall picture of trial. Because again, when trial comes and shakes up your life, the idea and the hope is that you would find stability in the Lord. So let's go ahead and jump back into the verses, starting in verse 12. Uh, Give me a thumbs up when you're looking at verse 12. So verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Again, in verse 12, Peter tells us to not view trial as strange. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He tells us not to be surprised and not to act as if some strange thing has happened to us when we go through hard times. And so what we see here in verse 12 is that Peter, like I had mentioned before, in that first part, Peter is trying to prepare us for trial. For us as people, it's important for us to understand and to recognize that society has taught us that trial is bad. Society's mindset is to have life go as smooth as possible for as long as possible, and we've been conditioned to buy into that. And we need to recognize it. That's why when anything bad happens in our life, when it happens abruptly, we start freaking out. We don't know what to do, and we just want it to stop. That's always our human natural reaction. We need to understand that about ourselves. But what Peter is trying to do here is he's trying to prepare us for when trial is going to come. Because we think it to be so weird when trial comes, but Peter's preparing us for when trial comes. Instead of teaching us to avoid trial or to minimize it, Peter is teaching us to face our trials head on. And he does that by basically trying to normalize the concept of hard times in our minds. He says, don't think that it's strange. It isn't strange or weird or abnormal. Trial is common. It happens to everybody. It's in fact the norm. Whether you want to believe it or not, or whether that resonates well with you or not, trial is the norm. Hard times are real. They are a reality, and they happen to everybody, unless you are extremely, extremely lucky. And so by Peter saying that trial is common and that it's not strange, what we can take away from that is this. As we go through hard life, we need to be prepared with the knowledge and this mindset that hard times are always a possibility. Always. You need to have that wrapped around your mind. Because sometimes we can hope or we can expect this life to be perfect, but then that causes us to get blindsided when trial comes. If you're stuck in that mindset, you're in a a sense handicapping yourself for when trial does come. Because then you're going to freak out. Right? I listen to John Corson teach a lot. And one of, the, one of the things that I've heard him use a lot is this. Is it ain't heaven until we get there. And it's true. Right? We live in a fallen world. There are evil things that really do exist. So we can't ever be of the expectation that everything is going to go perfectly in our lives. We can't fall into that misconception. It's, and it's biblical to understand that. 
It's biblical to have the knowledge that this is a fallen and a broken world, to know that evil exists and that life may bring some really hard things to experience. As you go through life, some of you may have experienced or you might experience financial struggle, heartbreak, anger, frustration, stress, anxiety, depression, addiction, sicknesses. But when those things approach, if you have Jesus, if you have the, if you, we should have the knowledge then. If we have Jesus, we should have the knowledge and the awareness to say, okay, Lord, it was always a possibility that this could happen. So now guide me. That should be our response. Having the recognition and the knowledge that bad things might happen is the first essential step that we need to take in order to keep our eyes on the Lord through hard times, in order to be stable, to be still. And I'm not trying to condemn or scare anybody by telling you that bad things are going to happen. It's the reality of life. But I am trying to prepare you. And I'm trying to help you understand what the things that are going on right now. This was always a possibility. We were never guaranteed a perfect life or a perfect tomorrow. And I hope that you guys are going to be, after this study, equipped with the right doctrine and the right knowledge so that if you ever have to continue in these hard times, anytime you have to face anything that's tough, you'll be prepared. And so in in order to equip ourselves, what are we going to do? We're going to go over a few pieces of scripture that cover this concept. The fact that sin and evil do exist in the world and that we can can recognize that. And so that we can be prepared for it. And so if you guys want to write these, a couple of these passages down, I'm going to go through them quickly. But these are just a few passages that I'm telling you. It's biblical to understand this is a fallen world. Bad things happen. The enemy is after you at times, especially if you're a Christian. So Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus spread to all men because all sinned. Right? It's referring to the fall of, of Adam and Eve, the fall of Adam. Romans 5.12, that was therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Ever since the fall of man, sin has entered this world, and evil has been present. Therefore, the possibility of this life not being perfect is in fact a reality. And later in this book of 1 Peter, in chapter 5, it says, in, again, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, if you want to write that down, it says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Again, that was 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You need to understand that the enemy is always at work. He is always trying to throw things your way that are going to make you want to turn away from God. And he may try to do that through trial or through hard times. The next verse is this, Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, that was Ephesians 6.12, if you want to write that down. There's a real spiritual battle going on. And it's not some pretend thing. It's real. There's a war going on for your soul, and sometimes that spiritual warfare will show up tangibly in your life in the form of hardship. In the Gospel of John, which we're going to talk about a little bit later as well, in the Gospel of John, in in chapter 16, verse 33, in in the second half of that verse, it says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus guarantees it. That's Jesus speaking in that verse. And he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's uh, John chapter 16, verse 33, again, if you want to write that down. And so the point is this, guys. 
I'm not saying we need to be constantly thinking about all the bad things that could happen to us or start dwelling on every single trial we could possibly go through. But what I am saying is that we can't have this unrealistic expectation that life is going to be perfect. That, that way, when the day comes that you are faced with trial, you don't look at God and start blaming Him or questioning Him as most people do. I know a lot of people in my life who are angry at God because something bad happened to them. When in reality, that was probably going to happen anyway. We live in a fallen world. God isn't the author of the bad things that happen to you. He will allow them at times. And we're going to get into that as we get into the purpose. But God is not the author of these things. There's no reason we should be blaming him or questioning him when these things happen. We live in a fallen world. It's the nature of this earth. Again, it should be when trial comes, you look to the Lord and you say, I understand this is always a possibility, God. So now what do I do? Because again, a lot of the times our natural response is fear. But with the Lord, we should have a different response. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that's Peter's goal here for these Christians he was writing to. And for us, when we're faced with tough times, the Lord doesn't want us to fear. He wants us to be of a sound mind. We need to be able to look trial in the face as it's coming and say, It is well with my soul. But in order to do that first, we need to understand it's a possibility. It's always there. We can't get caught up in this life expecting it to go perfectly. And so what we're going to see next as we go into the first half of verse 13, a lot of what we're going to be spending our time um, in, guys, today is going to be verse 12 and verse 13, and then we're going we're to finish in the rest of them. Um, but I just want to manage your expectations in that way. So we're going to see in the first half of verse 13 that the second concept that Peter, that Peter brings up is the purpose of trial. And so let's go ahead and look at verse 13. And give me a thumbs up when you guys are looking at it. So in verse 13... It says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Again, we're looking at that, the first half of that verse there where it says, Peter tells us to rejoice that we are partaking and sharing in Christ's sufferings. And if you told somebody who doesn't know Jesus that, to rejoice in partaking in suffering, it wouldn't really sound right to them. Right? It doesn't make sense. Rejoice because you're going to suffer? No, I don't, don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through hard times. It's a paradox. But it's interesting because when you have the Lord, for some reason it makes sense. And there are a ton of paradoxes all throughout the Bible that all make sense when you look at them from the perspective of the Lord. I'll give you guys a few, a few examples that I'm sure you guys will um, hear as familiar. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. Right? In Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, it says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So that first paradox, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. That doesn't make sense in a worldly perspective, but when you have the Lord, it makes sense. If you want to find your life, you must lose it. And that's another one that we know commonly, it makes sense when you have the Lord. When you are weak, then you are strong. That's another one. It's a paradox. doesn't make sense. But when you have the Lord, if you want to be exalted, be humble. The Lord will exalt you. Right? And here in 1 Peter, the Lord tells us to rejoice because we're going to suffer. Because when you look at this concept, what we can understand is when the Lord is involved, trial can actually have a lot of benefits. 
That's one of the most beautiful aspects of being a Christian. And as I've told you, my life has been characterized by trial. And that's why I cling so tightly to passages like this. Because when you go through hard times and you're able to stick close to the Lord, that is a sign of a mature Christian, of someone who really loves the Lord and trusts in Him. Because we understand that no matter what we go through on this life, this isn't our home anyway. Right? We understand that. And so Peter tells us, rejoice that you partake in Christ's sufferings. And we can rejoice during our trial and in the midst of our suffering because we as Christians know that the trials can serve a purpose. And one of the biggest reasons God will allow you to go through trial is to bring you back to him. In some cases, the Lord allows hardships to happen to awaken and to strengthen our faith. Because sometimes we need it. Have you, and, and what's interesting, let's think about it like this, right? Because I'm about to break down this, this common perspective that we all have. Have you guys ever noticed that when things are going well in your life, that sometimes it can feel like you don't have a real urgency to be close to God? Right? Raise your hand if you can kind of admit, yeah, when things are going well, yeah, you know, I don't really feel that sense of urgency. That can happen at times. And it's weird because as a, as a society, we kind of crave and desire for our lives to be steady to be comfortable, and to be consistent. But at the same time, it's also common to admit that those same comfortable times are the times that we can kind of distance ourselves from God. Isn't that weird? We can all admit that when there's nothing really wrong in our lives, that sometimes we can lack a sense of urgency with God, yet that's the type of life that we constantly seek after as a culture, as a society. That doesn't make sense. We shouldn't be following that. That's why in Matthew 19, Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. Because when we're trusting in something other than God, when something else is giving us a sense of security and comfort, it's a lot less likely that we're going to turn to him. And we just admitted that. I don't want to put you guys on blast in that way, but I feel the same way. Right? Whether it be a life filled with money or a life that is just empty of anything bad happening, if we feel secure and find contentment in something other than God, then we're not going to feel a need for him. We're going to feel like we have it all together. That's why sometimes God allows you to go through things to get your mind right and to bring you back to where you need to be in your relationship with him, to draw you back to him. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen so that we can cling to him. And I've noticed even myself that for some reason I've been at my best in my walk when I've gone through the hardest of times because you are forced to your knees and that is the most important thing that you could possibly do with your life is to come to Jesus Christ. And if it takes a breaking of your heart to do it, then so be it. When you're sitting in eternity, it's not going to matter to you what you went through in this life at all. And what's crazy is sometimes God even allows us to feel the consequences of our own actions so that we can learn our lesson. We need to remember that as well. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21, I don't know if you guys know this story, but it talks about a time when the Israelites were being led through the wilderness on their journey and they were complaining to Moses against God. Even though everything had been provided for the Israelites throughout their time on, the, on their 40-year journey, God would literally send manna down for them to eat. Bread from heaven, literal food from heaven that sustained their bodies and gave them exactly what they needed in order to survive, gave them all the nutrients, everything they needed as they journeyed. And yet they were telling Moses things like, oh, you've brought us out into the wilderness to die. We're not going anywhere. We haven't made any progress. We're sick of this bread. We're sick of this manna. What is going on? And so the Lord saw this. He heard that they were complaining against him, even though he had provided everything for them. And that's how we get as people, right? We get comfortable, we get far from God. Right? And, and how did God respond? He responded by sending a trial. The Israelite people had gotten so comfortable that they had taken for granted what God had given them. And so the Lord sent down serpents 
to go and attack the people of Israel. And as he did this, he told Moses to make a bronze serpent and to put it on a pole. And he said, whoever is bitten by these snakes won't die as long as they look at that pole with a bronze serpent on it that Moses made. And that's exactly what happened. Some people believed in what Moses said when this attack was happening. They looked at the pole and they lived. Right? But then others didn't. And so here's the point. Do you believe that these people were thinking about their petty little complaints while they were literally people getting attacked by snakes, but while they were getting chased and while people were dying? No. I'm sure their only thoughts at that point were to find the solution. Their only thoughts were to look at the bronze serpent that Moses had made so that they would be healed, so that they would be safe, so that they would find life. And at this point, the, the Israelites weren't thinking about the small details of the, or the problems of their life. They were just looking for the thing that would save their life. And what's cool about this story is that if you, if you read later in the New Testament, in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, you find that in that story, the pole with the bronze serpent, with, with the bronze serpent on it, is actually a representation of Jesus, which is amazing. When we get too comfortable, we start to forget that God is the answer. When we have no problems, we start to forget that God is the solution. We distance ourselves. And so God will allow hard times to come, because sometimes we can be so arrogant that trial is the only way that we'll come to God. That's the purpose of trial while he'll allow it. And so we can be thankful for trials. We can rejoice in them because we know the effect they have because even though they can hurt us from an earthly perspective, we can still learn to live with them because we know that they keep us close to God. They prevent us from ever relying on anything else for too long. Trials serve a purpose. They have a place in our life. They point us to Jesus. If you ever read the book of Daniel, you'll read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's homies, right? There are three of Daniel's friends that were thrown into a fiery furnace by the king with the intention of killing them, all because they wouldn't bow down to idols. And so these guys literally faced a fiery trial, as Peter says. And it was in the fire of that furnace that they saw a fourth man with them. Right, an instance of Jesus that we see in the Old Testament. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't burned by the fire because they were protected by the Lord. But what did it take for them to see Jesus? It took that fire. And we can look at it in this way. Sometimes it takes us going through a fire in order to see Jesus again. Trials have a purpose. They don't only produce bad. I know maybe it sounds backwards. It's a paradox. But when you have the Lord, there are so many benefits that come from hard times. And so let's go ahead and let's read that verse again um, in 1 Peter, verse 13. Let's just read it again with this, with this new perspective of knowing that trial has purpose. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, it says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now that we've talked about the purpose of trial, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it, you read that verse a bit differently. Right? It makes a little bit more sense. Because again, us coming to the Lord and, and it causing us to cling tighter to Him, that's just one way that trial can have a positive effect in our lives. There are so many other ways that we can look at trial positively when we have God. Another reason, another, another um, benefit of trial is that they mature us. Right? They teach us things. They make us grow as people and they make us grow as children of God. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's another purpose, is it matures us. Another one is that sometimes when trials remove things from our lives, they free us up to serve and to seek the Lord in a deeper way. 
I know that's how it was for me, for sure. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was speaking to a rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Because Jesus knew that if this rich young ruler had nothing to hold him back, he could fully serve him. Sometimes trial can do that for us. They can take things out of the way and remove things from our life that might hurt, but then it allows us to focus on the Lord. And we need to understand the benefit of that. It can draw us closer to Him, free us up to seek Him more. And there's another reason. Trials qualify us and give us credibility to help others and to minister to them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3-4, through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Oftentimes when we go through hard times, we think that there's no purpose in it. We think that no one could possibly understand, especially if you guys know me, I have a pretty complicated testimony. I have a very thorough testimony. But the Bible says in the first half of, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, I want you guys to write that down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it's an important verse that you need to remember. In the first half of it, it says, No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. Basically meaning that you're not going to go through anything that nobody else has experienced. And at the very least, you're not going to go through anything that Jesus himself hasn't experienced. It's a lie of the enemy for you to ever think, Oh, nobody's ever going to understand what I'm going through. Because we tell that to ourselves. And oftentimes, the more complicated our testimony, we wear that as like a badge of honor in a sense of like, oh, nobody gets me. That's weird. Don't do that. I've been, I've been like that. Because in all reality, you'll often find that we go through really similar experiences in this, life, in this life. And so when you go through hard times and you experience things like grief or anxiety or insecurity, yeah, they're not the greatest feelings. But when God heals you from those feelings, you are now qualified to go to someone else who might be going through that same thing and say, hey, I've been there too. And you can comfort them with the comfort that God has given you. And you can tell them that Jesus is the remedy to it. And let me tell you, when you are on the receiving end of that, when against all odds you find out that someone has been through the same things that you have and that God has saved them from it, that's where life is found, man. That's where the grace and the healing of God lives. In those moments that we think nobody else can relate to us, I guarantee you there's somebody in this life. Jesus does that purposely. The Lord allows these things to happen so that we can connect with each other and in that we might see him. That is where life is found. It's beautiful. As a teacher, I, I, I notice that there's people that they come and they talk to you and, and you see the things they're going through and you just wish, oh man, I wish they could talk to this person. If only they knew they weren't the only one. And even for me, I'm not perfect. And sometimes people will come up to me and say, oh man, I'm going through this. I'm like, dude, I've been there. And when that happens, you feel this connection that you wouldn't have felt otherwise. And, and in that vulnerability, in that commonality is where Jesus works. And it's so beautiful. We see all these benefits that God can create through hard times, the dark parts of our life that we might not want to share, but the Lord can bring them out and make them beautiful. We can always know that as we go through trials, we can understand that God always has a purpose in mind for them. But it's if you let him, and it's up to you to seek that purpose. If you're ignorant to it, you're not going to find it. 
If you're mad at God for what you're going through, you're not going to find it. You never will. So again, at, at this point in the study, we've learned how to prepare for trial. We've learned that trial has a purpose. And now we're going to look at the glory after the passing of trial. In the second half of verse 13, again, we're going to spend a lot of time in 12 and 13, but after this we're going to move on. It talks a lot about how we can look forward to the glory that we're going to have one day. That when Jesus has his glory revealed, despite what we go through. So let's read verse 13 again. Give me a thumbs up when you're looking at it. Cool, you guys are quick. All right, in verse 13 it says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake for Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I'm going to read that second half again. It says that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So we can be thankful for trial because of some of the positive effects that it brings us during. And now when we get to the point that the Lord has brought us through the trial, when we get to the other side, we can rejoice in the fact that he's turned our suffering into gladness. And we can look back and we can see that God was with us the whole time. Because maybe we can't always see the solution while we're going through the hard times. And I think a lot of times we struggle with that. We struggle with trying to see, Lord, what is your will in this? God, what are you doing here? And we can't see it right away. But as far as, 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 as I go, and I'm speaking for myself, maybe you haven't, but if you're looking back at it, I'm, I'm sure that you have, and I'm sure that you will one day. As long as I've been a Christian, I've always seen God take anything bad that has ever happened in my life and turn it into something that I can see as positive. For every door that has been closed in my life, I can look back now after it's happened and it's so clear to me what God was doing and why he did it or why he allowed it. And what's beautiful is oftentimes when you look back, you can see he actually opened up a better door for you. And that door that you wanted open so bad, he shut it, but then he opened up something even better. And it's beautiful when you do that as a Christian. Our young adults ministry is, is named Reflect. And the Lord led me to, to name, that, name it that because as a mature Christian, it's, it's a sign of maturity when you're able to look at all the things in your past and, and look at how far you've come and see every, where God was every single step of the way. It's so important to do that so that the next time trial comes, you can look back and say, man, look at all these times that God came through for me. Look at all these times and, and you can bank on the fact that he's going to do it again. Right? And even if he doesn't in this life, we have heaven to look forward to. And so when we go through hard times, we should always look at God's track record with confidence. Right? You can count on the fact that the Lord will be with you and carry you through and out of your trial. You can count on it because, like I said, what you've seen him do in the past in your own life, and that's important to look at. But you can also count on it because of what you read in the Bible, right? because of his promises. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God never has ever promised an easy life, but he has clearly promised to always be by our side and to see us through. He has promised us that he will be with us and that the trial will pass eventually. In Psalm 30, verse 5, in the second half of that verse, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but what? But joy comes in the morning. In the book of John, like I told you guys, we're going to go back to the book of John. Jesus talks about suffering. And he compares our suffering as Christians to a mother's labor's pains as she's giving birth. And there's a reason that he does it. So let's turn there really quick. If you guys could turn to John chapter 16. 
starting in verse 20. Give me a thumbs up when you're there. John chapter 16, starting in verse 20. Are you guys there? Cool. Okay, starting in verse 20, it says, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. It's a beautiful analogy. When a mom gives birth to her child, she goes through agonizing pain. But I'm sure once the baby is out, that for that one beautiful moment that she gets to hold her child for the first time, that the last thing she's thinking about is the pain that she just went through in that first moment. And for me, I'm, I'm not a mom, right? And I'm not, I'm not even a parent for that matter. Um, so the only thing I have to compare it to is the moment that I, that I first held my nephew. But even that was an overwhelming sense of joy for me, man. Um, my nephew... Uh, my first nephew, he was born almost three months premature. And when he was born, I was 17 years old. Um, and you have to be 18 to be able to go, to go into the NICU. And I, I was heartbroken at the fact that I couldn't meet him. And I remember after months of waiting to meet him, the first day my sister brought him home and she let me hold him. And I just cried, man. I was so filled with joy. And man, I have a, such a strong, special connection to that little boy. I love him so much. And I see him almost as like my first son that I never had. Right? And, and if you know me, man, I, I love that kid. I love all my nieces, and, uh, my niece and my nephews. But man, like just holding him, that, he was the one that made me an uncle. He was the first time I ever saw someone that was related to me that's just a baby. And it was beautiful. It was so joyful. And I can only imagine the type of joy even more so than it is for a mom to hold her baby for the first time. For you mothers here, I'm sure, man, you can tell me all about it, how beautiful it might have been. Right? But that's the joy, and that's the peace, and that's the victory that God has promised us. We have that type of joy to look forward to even in trial when we have God. And if you look a bit closer at the end of verse 20 in that section, Jesus says, your sorrow will be turned into joy. There in John chapter 16, in verse 20, he says, your sorrow will be turned into joy. And so we can look at that in a sense and believe that maybe the very thing that you're going through right now, this, that very thing that's hurting you is the very same thing that the Lord is going to use to bless you. It's going to be the very same thing that's going to bring you joy. Because in that analogy, the same baby that brought so much pain is the same baby that brought so much joy. God doesn't replace your sorrow with joy. He transforms your sorrow into joy. If you let him, if you seek him, that is the key right there. If you trust in God and you let him fight on your behalf, there is nothing that can stop him from seeing you through, from bringing you that joy. You have to seek him. In Romans 8.31, it says, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Later in Romans chapter 8, and verse 38 through 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So again, we've, we've gone only through two verses in First Peter. Um, like I mentioned, but isn't it amazing, guys, how as Christians we can see trial from a different perspective. We can see it for the positives instead of only focusing and being fixated on the negatives. And so what we see in the next verses, again, we're going to go through these verses in chunks now. And so what we see in the next verses is that before he moves on, Peter pauses for a second here. He kind of gets out of the, you know, the, the purpose and the, and the passing um, of the trial. Right? And, and he makes an important point before he moves on. He reminds us, basically, I'm going to give you guys a little summary before we get into this next verse. It says that if we're suffering and going through trial with the Lord in our hearts, or specifically for the Lord, Again, if you're suffering and you're going through, the tr- through trial, again, with the Lord in your heart or specifically for the Lord, then all of the previous things that we've talked about in this study apply to you. Right? But then he said that if you're suffering because of some sin you've committed, you can't complain to God that he's not saving you from it. Because God is likely going to let you feel the consequences of your own actions. And, and we're, let's go ahead and let's read verse 14 through 16. And give me a thumbs up when you're looking at verse 14 back in First Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, it says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. And then we see the other half of it here in verse 15. It says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So again, Peter says that if you suffer with the Lord, if you go through hard times in your faith or because of your faith, then you're blessed. And if that's the case, then you're on the right track and you now have the chance to glorify God through your hardship and the Lord is going to be with you through it all. He's going to have his hand all over you. But then he reminds us, if you're going through hard times because of your bad intentions and your bad actions, you can't get mad that you're suffering the consequences. You reap of the Spirit. I mean, sorry, you sow the Spirit, you're going to reap of the Spirit. You sow the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. Because sometimes we have a tendency to do that, right? To get mad about feeling the consequences of our own actions. Sometimes people do something terrible. And everybody's mad at them, and they start to feel the consequences of their own actions. And then what starts to happen is they start to play the victim. And it's unfortunate when that happens. And in those situations, yes, God's grace is endless. And if you truly repent, God will forgive you. But that doesn't mean that you get a free pass on the consequences of your own sin. So in these verses, Peter pauses to tell us, look, all of these things that I'm talking about regarding trial are true, but if you've created your own suffering, God can still forgive you and God is still going to be with you, but he might just let you feel the consequences of your own actions. We can't forget that because trial can always have a purpose, but if you cause your own suffering, oftentimes, as a good father should, God is going to let you learn your lesson. We need to understand that. Because yes, we have the hope in our trial, but when you created it, you better believe the Lord is going gonna, is gonna to either give you a spanking or just let you feel the ramifications of your own actions. Right? God will not always save you from the consequences if you are the one that caused it. So again, to, to summarize really quick, so far up to this point, because we took a little break from the, from the whole structure there, up to this point in our study, we've learned about the preparation for trial, the purpose during trial, and then the passing of trial. And now in these last few verses, we're going to be shown the overall picture of trial. And in these last verses, we need to remember that context that I had mentioned about earlier, right? That these, these Christians that Peter was writing to were about to be persecuted, and they were about to, in a sense, be judged by society. People were trying to kill them because of what they were standing for. 
And so let's, let's go ahead and look at verse 17 and give me a thumbs up when you guys are looking at it. In verse 17 it says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Like I said, this last section here is relevant to what was going on in the time of Peter writing this letter. Verse 17 and verse 18, they say this. Let's read it again really quick. 17 and 18. It says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And that judgment there that's found in verse 17 that Peter is speaking of is in regards to the Christians that he's writing to. He's not talking about necessarily how God is going to judge them. But what he's saying and what he's realizing is that Peter knew these Christians were about to face tough trial and persecution and judgment, in a sense, by the world because of the times, what was going on. They were facing judgment by the world. And then as I had mentioned at the beginning of the study, the world was judging Christians at this time. People were persecuting them for their faith. And so Peter said, okay, let's look at it from this perspective. If the trials must come to us Christians first, if the world is going to judge us and we're going to be persecuted for our faith, that's okay. Right? That's fine. Because we know where we're going to end up after this life. And so there's even more good news about trial, this overall picture of trial that, I'm, that Peter's trying to give us, that even if you go through terrible things on this earth, the worst things that you could possibly imagine, the overall picture of trial is this, this is the worst you're ever going to have to face as a Christian. Remember I said in the beginning, it ain't heaven until we get there, right? But one day we are going to be there. And it's going to be perfect. There's going to be no more trial. There's going to be no more hardship. And so Peter is telling us, you know what, as Christians, it's okay that right now we have to face some trials or some persecution here on earth. I may struggle now, but there's going to be a day where I won't even remember what struggle was. So that's why Peter says it's okay, because we know that these trials that we're experiencing on earth are the worst thing we're ever going to have to face. Once we're gone from this earth, oh, we're good. Smooth sailing from there. And so it's, us to, it's up to us as people. You can face trial as Christian here on earth, right? and then you can have eternal life in paradise, or you can live it up and indulge in sin here. You can live the way that you want to, but then you're going to spend eternal life in hell. It might sound harsh, but it's reality. What is the cost of being separated from God? A lot of us sell our souls for nothing. We commit sin against the Lord when we don't realize what we're giving up. Because if you reject God, if you don't come to Him, unfortunately you have a lot worse things to worry about after this life is over. No matter what your life looks like now. And that's why in verse 19 it says, Commit your soul to God. Just choose Him. It's the better option. In verse 19, let's read that again really quick as we close. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. That word commit is like to deposit or to entrust your soul into God's hands for Him to keep and to take care of. That word commit is the same type of commit that Jesus said before He died on the cross. Before Jesus died in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he says, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because we know that trial is likely going to come. We covered that. It's an expectation. 
It's a possibility and it's a reality. But you also know that when you are committed to God in hard times, when you have him, when you have chosen life through Jesus Christ, we can be prepared for trial. We can find great purpose during trial. We can experience great joy after trial. And we know that one day, for the Christian, trial is going to end forever. That's why we just stick to the Lord. Because we know that he can bring purpose to anything we go through. He can bring meaning to any paradox or anything that maybe seems like it doesn't make sense. We need to understand that, guys, always. And so maybe 10, 20 years down the line from now, you can remember this study and say, all right, Lord, you said this is a possibility. Lord, I know you can give me purpose through this. I know that it's going to pass. And at the end of the day, I know I'm going to be with you in heaven. So, Lord, I'm, I'm still in you. I'm at peace. And I'll end with this quote. Um, Billy Graham, he said, Nowhere does the Bible teach that Christians are to be exempt from the tribulations and natural disasters that come upon the world. However, it does teach that the Christian can face them with a supernatural power that is not available to the person outside of Christ. Choose wisely, you guys.